Okay, guys, we also have one more announcement that we forgot to make. So next week is Encounter Night, so we'll be at the Vineyard Church at 8 p.m. So we'd love to see you guys come out. It'll just be an extended time of worship and just a great time to encounter the Father. Um, so, yeah, like we were introduced before, my name is Mariah, and this is my friend Haley. And last week we went to Zacatecas, Mexico um, over spring break, the video that you just watched. And it was just an amazing time of just really getting to know the people there. Um, we hung out with a lot of kids and really just got to see God's love displayed through them, but also show them God's love. And um, I know all of us were touched and just changed. Um, I know for me personally, coming back, just a lot of things have just been broken off of me. I just, um, just feel a freedom and just a total acceptance in my father that I didn't feel before. Um, so yeah, it was an amazing week and we'll see what Haley has to say. Yeah. Um, so I'm kind of a new face, and many of you guys are new faces to me. Thank you for having me. Um, and yeah, I'd only been to Alive a few times before I went to Zacatecas, but I really felt like God put it on my heart after the first time I heard about the trip. And it was, I think, just a good example of me saying yes to God, even though I didn't know everyone going, um, and it was way out of my comfort zone. Um, but it's just one example that shows, like, when you say yes to God, and if it's something that you truly feel him um, moving you to do, that you're just going to reap so many benefits from it. And one word, I guess, that I think of when I think of the trip is the word love. Um, there was just so much love displayed during the trip, like, amongst the team, and then just between each of us and the kids and their parents, um, one night, so we had team time every night at the end of the really long day where we would do different exercises. Um, one thing we did was like call out the goals in each other where we like talked about something that we noticed that someone else did that day. We also talked about our why and why we came on the trip. Um, the last day we did an exercise where Ryan like pulled out a chair and said like, you need to, or I, you don't need to, I urge you to like, or I want you to get on the chair and uh, just like shout like why, or you know, shout anything you want really. Um, and just like what has moved you on this trip. And so everyone, almost everyone um, did it. And it was just so awesome to see like how impactful the trip was and the different impacts that it had on everyone. Um, and yeah, so what I shared on the chair was that um, that same day, I was in the car with Anna. So Stephen and Anna are the missionaries that live there from the vineyard. And their two kids were with us for a lot of the trip. So I was in the car with their baby. And this was just a moment on the trip that I'll never forget. Um, I was just like looking at her baby and like started crying in the car. And this had also happened to me the day before with like a little girl where I just like was looking at her and like couldn't stop kissing her on the forehead and I was just like I don't want to leave like I love these kids so much and it just like hit me that I didn't even really know these kids I had just met them but like the love that I felt in my heart for them was so it was just so amazing and so big and just to think that like God loves each and every one of us more than that like just struck me and I was like dang um <laughs> But to see, like, the love that everyone, like, had for these kids there in Mexico and for each other. Like, I've never had community ever, really. Um, and so just to, like, be around people that love you and that build you up is just so, 
there's nothing that compares to it um, because it can really show you like the love that God has for you through your friends and through the people that you surround yourself with. So it was amazing, an amazing week to say the least. And that's, yeah, that's all I got. Thanks, guys. Okay. All right. So uh, with that, I just want to invite everyone to stand up. Uh, we're going to enter into a time of worship. So, Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for tonight. God, we thank you for the incredible testimony of what you did uh, in the lives of those in Mexico, in the lives of our students. God, in, in all of us, just keeping us safe and just blessed over the spring break. God, we just turn our affection and our hearts to you and we give you tonight. Lord, would you soften our hearts to receive what you have for us. Lord, and we just want to give you the glory that you deserve. And we praise you. We praise you now, and we praise you through the rest of our lives. In Jesus' name. Yeah. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you're here. Thank you for your love, Father. And I just ask that you touch every single person here tonight with your love and your truth. Thank you for the word that we're going to uh, receive from you, Father. Just come and touch us. Thank you that you know what each one of us needs. And just have your way fully in Jesus' name. Amen. Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Who can stop the Lord Oh, I'm singing out for who can stop the Lord. Stop. 
Would you encounter us? Apart from 
all the noise, all the sound, all the performance, God, may it just be you and your love that stands. May the only thing that we possibly speak is you. That when everything else fades away, that your love will remain in our lives. That we can say that you are enough. That you are more than enough, Father. One thing remains, one thing. 
share tonight. Let's give it up for the worship band. Good job, guys. What's up, everyone? My name's Ryan. So great to see you. Hope you all had an amazing spring break. Thank you for coming out. I know when uh, you get back from spring break, it's a little crazy and busy with projects and whatnot. Um, it's crazy to think about that after this, we only have four more lives left, or no, five more lives left of the season. Um, and uh, like Mariah said, next week we will be at our church for encounter night. Uh, yes, there will be free pizza. That's the reason a lot of you come. <laughs> but um, encounter nights are always special, and that will be actually be the last one of the year. So definitely hope you can make it out. There will be a van um, outside of the ark around like 730. Um, but I want to focus on tonight, and uh, I'm so excited. You guys can bring those chairs out. That head nod was for you. <laughs> um, I'm so excited to introduce Eric and Owen. I almost said Eric and Austin. Why do I keep calling you Austin? Um, but these guys, uh, they're actually our only student leaders preaching this whole year. Um, we've had a lot of coaches preach. But um, it also just uh, shows their character and their heart for the men of God that they are. They both led us. Owen's been leading a small group all year, and Eric co-led it last semester with him. And they just pour into so many people and do so many things. Uh, Eric being on the worship team, Owen being one of our sound guys. And they're just such men that inspire me. And uh, I'm just so excited for them to share, so excited for them to share their hearts as they've been. They've, these, are, these are two guys that you never have to worry about if they've prepped enough. You actually have to worry about if they prepped too much. Um, so I just have been seeing just a right and left punch 
um, as we've been praying and working with them for this message. Their first message was about 15 minutes long um, because they have a lot of awesome things to say. Don't worry, it's not going to be that long tonight, but it is good. So can you guys just give it up for Owen and Eric as they come up. We're so excited for you guys. Look at this, standing ovation. Kundai doesn't even get this, and you guys, look at this. <laughs> Wow, I don't know what that was, but <laughs> chinchilla. Hello. I love you too, Paul. What's up, guys? Excuse the sniffles. I'll just say that in advance. You might hear me sniffling over here, coughing a bit, but it's going to be a good night, so. Yeah. So for those of you who don't know me, my name is Eric. Some people also call me Papa Diaz. That's my street name. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I'm a graduate student in mechanical engineering, and um, I'm also a leader in Alive. Yep, so I'm also a leader in Alive. I'm Owen. Um, you can call me O-Diggity Dog. You can, call me, um, you can call me Woody from Toy Story. My boy Buzz is up there. Whatever you'd prefer, so. So yeah, I don't know if you guys noticed, but Owen has a really nice tan from Mexico. So I, <laughs> I guess you could say that now tonight we have two tall, dark, and handsome men bringing the word. <laughs> yeah. Ryan just introduced me as being super humble. I, I'm sorry, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're excited to be with you guys tonight. So excited all you guys could come out in the rain. Um, as we were preparing and praying for this, we were reminded of something that people say when you, you're supposed to do when you speak in front of a crowd of people. And um, I'm a little afraid to share this, but it, it, they say that you're supposed to, does anybody know? You're supposed to picture everyone wearing their underwear, right? Um, so we thought about doing that. We actually prayed about it. We decided it wasn't a good move because we're in church, right? So we won't be doing that. Um, we'll just be bringing the word tonight, but I'm going to hand it back to Papa Diaz. All right, so I guess enough goofing around. I think we're supposed to preach, right? All right. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so Ryan has been going through this whole semester on this series called The Reason We Believe. And um, so a couple of weeks ago, before spring break, Ryan talked about um, are we living our lives or are we wasting our lives? And I don't know about you guys, but honestly, in my life, sometimes I ask myself, well, what does that actually look like? Or where does that start? Or how do I actually live that in my own life? And what Owen and I wanted to share with you guys tonight was uh, we believe that it starts with God's love, and it's centered on God's love. And that's why we wanted to name tonight Knowing God's Love to Become God's Love. Yeah, and over winter break, we went to this amazing conference, and um, their slogan, it's only three words, but it really hit me powerfully back then, and we really believed that it was a good fit for tonight to really guide us into the truth of what the Lord wanted to capture and teach us. Um, so we're going to borrow that slogan from them. So just like Eric said, um, we came up with this on our own, the title, Knowing His Love to Become His Love. But the stepping stones on that experience are all about beholding His love, becoming His love, and declaring His love. So you guys join me in prayer real quick before we begin. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, Jesus, I just thank you that your love is alive in this place, in each and every one of us. I just thank you that we can come together as one, as the body, be in unity with one another, be in unity with you, and just talk about your love. So let that be the anthem of tonight. You're going to hear that word a lot. 
but let your love be the cry of our hearts, be the mountain where we run, the fountain I drink from, and all that, whatever the rest of the song says. Thank you for being here tonight, Lord. Bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so the first part of this journey is called Behold. And again, I don't know about you guys, but this is not usually a word I use on a day-to-day basis. Does anyone here use it? No? Yeah. Oh, awesome. Um, But, you know, it's not like I go around saying, like, behold, Paul's voice is beautiful. Or, actually, I might start saying that now. (laughs) Uh, But when you think about the word behold, uh, behold means to be in awe of something, to be a witness of something, to be in the presence of something beautiful, and sometimes even out of the ordinary. And I think about 1 John 4.19 that says, We love because he first loved us. And it's a very popular verse. And what it's saying is that the only reason we can show any of God's love is because it affects us first in our heart. And there's something that happens in our heart before we can give it to people. And uh, this is something that Jesus really wanted to show people throughout the Gospels. And especially in Luke 15, um, as we see in Luke 15, it's full of all these parables. We have the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, the parable of the prodigal son. Um, And they're all pretty similar, so I just wanted to focus on the parable of the prodigal son for now. Has anyone heard about that that parable before? Oh my gosh, everybody. All right, I guess I don't have to preach then. See, right? No, I'm kidding. So the parable of the prodigal son. Um, I guess like when when it comes to beholding God's love, what do all these parables have to do with it? Um, well, the parable of the prodigal son, I just want to uh, quickly go through the beginning of it. Um, in this parable, you have a father, and then you have a younger son. You have an older son that comes in, in the picture later. But you have a father who's really rich, and he has this huge estate and all this money. And you have a younger son who's kind of a little punk, and he decides to go up to his father and ask for some money. Actually, he asks for all of it. He says, Dad, give me my inheritance, because I don't really want to wait for it, and, you know, because... You had to wait for it until your dad died, but he didn't want to wait for that long. Um, so yeah, his father gives him this money. He goes off and he squanders it. He buys all these awesome Bugattis and Lamborghinis and BMWs. And um, he totally loses it. And he gets to a point where he doesn't have a job and the only place he can work at is a pig farm. And he gets to this low place of wanting to eat what the pigs ate because he was so hungry. And I don't know if you guys have ever asked, your, asked yourselves, um, like, what was this kid thinking? You know, he had everything at home. He had the, the love of the father. He had a family. He had a house. He had a brother. Why would he ever leave that? And, you know, what causes people to do this in their own lives? What, what causes people to go down this path? And I wanted to um, answer or try to answer that question by giving a short testimony on my life um, because I had a season of life where I was a prodigal. Um, I remember my first year at U of I, um, I had known the Lord, the Lord for a few years and um, it was a really awesome experience because even though I didn't know anybody, I was really excited. I was like, God, this is going to be awesome. Like, I don't know anybody, but it's going to be like a secret mission, right? I'm going to be able to do life with you and I'm going to be able to go on this awesome journey because it's going to be my first time outside of the Wheaton bubble, which is where I grew up, right? Um, and uh, so, yeah, I was super excited, and I went, I checked out all these different ministries. Alive was one of them. 
And every single one, I would go back to the Father, and I would say, God, is this where you want me? And no answer. Um, and I got to this point where I felt super lonely because God was not answering my prayers, and I desperately wanted to know where to be. And I kept asking God, and I, I, I kept hearing less from him, and I was so confused, and I got um, pretty depressed because I was away from home, but I didn't have a family. And um, around the same time, I, got, I started getting acquainted with the culture here at U of I. Um, obviously, it's not a Christian college, so you have all this other stuff like um, partying and drinking and stuff like that. But on the engineering campus, you have this whole other world where people idolize these other things like success and having an awesome career and getting good grades. And these things started becoming super attractive to me. And I was desperately trying to find a place to fit in, so I decided to pursue Greek life. Um, and I know I'm not the type of person that comes off as a frat guy, right? Um, because I'm not. I, I joined... <laughs> I joined an engineering fraternity, which is a little bit different, but uh, this co-ed engineering fraternity, I thought that it had everything that I wanted in my college experience. Um, I remember uh, looking at the people, looking at the members in the fraternity and thinking like, man, I want to be like them. I want to have this inner circle where like, like it stands out, you know? They don't just get trashed on weekends, but during the week, they do work and they get good grades and they're going places in life. And guys, I know this sounds bad, but these were thoughts that were going through my mind. I wanted to desperately become part of this culture that I found like super attractive. You know, not just having fun, but also doing something to make your life worth it. So I took this to God, you know. And I was like, God, okay, this is my last chance with you. I'm gonna ask you one more time. Is this where you want me? And, um, I rushed the fraternity, um, and I was like, God, you know the desires of my heart. <laughs> and um, God, if it's your will, let me get a bid. Two days later, I get a bid. Ask and you shall receive, right? <laughs> um, so I was like, man, I'm in God's will, you know? And I started going to this fraternity, and instantly my ego went through the roof, and I was full of pride. Um, yeah, I was, I was just indulging in this lifestyle of just being around people who I thought were extremely cool and attractive because of their lifestyle and the way they conducted themselves. And um, yeah, uh, I remember a Saturday night, I was very sad because I wasn't happy. And I was very sad and I was very confused because not only was I feeling empty, but I was also feeling confused because I prayed for this and God gave it to me. So, like, what gives? You know, they don't really teach this in church. Like, you know, God gives, you know, uh, forgetting the verse. Um, if a son asks for a loaf of bread, you know, he's not going to give him a stone, right? Um, and I was sitting in bed, and I was like, God, I'm so confused. You know, I'm coming back to you because I have nowhere else to go. And instantly I heard in my heart, I love you. Why are you paying for friendships? And, 
man, I instantly I felt overwhelmed by the love of God, and I started seeing things, and I didn't, I didn't know it at the time, but it was the Holy Spirit showing me all these things and all these places where God had been. He had been in my decision to lease the apartments, or to, to get a lease in the apartments across the street from Vineyard, and I was like, God, you were there. And I saw, man, God, you were, you were there whenever I'd run into Kundai Granger Library, you know? And um, yeah, I just felt overwhelmed by the love of God, and I felt convicted to quit the fraternity. Um, and from then on, I've just been so aware of the love of God everywhere in my life and in me and through me. Um, and now, I'm, as I think about that, my inheritance, what I thought I wanted, I was like the prodigal son. My inheritance was this experience that I thought I wanted. And, you know, I, I wasn't beholding the love of the Father. I was beholding the good things in life that are not supposed to be the best things. And I'm not saying that joining Greek life or doing anything like that's bad. I have a lot of close friends in this room that are in Greek life. So I'm not trying to say that. I'm just trying to ask you and ask, help us ask ourselves, what are we beholding? Because if we're beholding things and putting them at a level above God, we tie our self-worth to that. And that just doesn't lead us anywhere. Because we, we become what we behold. So if we behold these things, then we become slaves to parties or people's opinions or, you know, a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a job or a career. You become what you behold. But when we behold God's love, we see that it always has been pursuing us and always pursues us. And unlike these things that come and go, when we behold the love of God, something that's eternal and doesn't change and doesn't, he doesn't love us more or love us less. We become content to be a part of this love that has no end and part of this family and part of this kingdom that can't be shaken. So, I love, uh, so I'm going to read a little bit more about the prodigal son. I love in verse 17 where it says, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my... My father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still away, far off, his father saw him, ran to him, felt compassion, embraced him, and kissed him. Man, and like we see Jesus in this passage because we see the kid realize that he was in need and we see him go back and know and realize that the father is the only person that can meet his need and remember who's telling the story Jesus is and we see Jesus in this story because in this culture in the Jewish culture back then if a kid ever ran away from home and he came back the community had the right to stone him but what does this father do he runs out and he's willing to make himself look like a fool against going against the culture just to embrace the child and it doesn't say this in scripture, but take it with a grain of salt. But when I read this, I picture, man, what if he wasn't just embracing him to, to bring him back, but what if he was covering him from the stones that were being thrown at him? Because if Jesus is telling this story, then it shows what Jesus did. He came, he ran, he saw us from afar. He didn't wait for us to come to him. He ran out from heaven to earth and came to this world and took all that beating onto himself just to accept us back into the family. Wow. 
So is Jesus the king of your heart? Just like the shirt says. I got it today. I really like it. <laughs> because this is the love of God. And I want to read a little bit more. Um, and it says, And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against you. Um, I'm no longer to be worthy to be called your son. But what does the father do? He totally ignores him. He says, hey, guys, bring back, bring the robe, bring the sandals, bring the ring, put it on his finger. And before spring break, Ryan was talking about repentance, right? How it's aligning your mind back with the heart of God to know his thoughts, to know the truth. And look at this. The kid, I, I would argue, the kid hadn't even repented completely yet because he was still living in that poverty mindset and orphan, orphan mindset that he had to work back for his father's love. Because he says, treat me as your servant. And why I think that's so beautiful is because the father embraces him before the kid even knows his own identity. So when people repent, the repentance is perfected in the father's love. There's no prerequisites to come to him. Like you don't even have to repent the right way for God to love you. And this is why... <laughs> And this is why I love this parable because oh, there's just so much in here. But what are we beholding? And like I said before, it doesn't matter if um, it's okay if, they're, if you're in an RSO or a society like that. But I just want to ask you, what are you beholding? Maybe God is telling you to be a vessel of his love in that place. But every vessel needs a compass or else it won't go anywhere. And let that compass be the love of God, that love of God that you behold, because you become what you behold. And when you fix your eyes on Jesus as the most beautiful Savior in the whole universe, and his love is the most beautiful thing in the world, we're brought to life by beholding the love that first loved us. Because... When we behold and receive God's love, we're given this amazing choice and opportunity to become. Hold the applause until the end. So, yeah. so becoming this love, the second step on the journey, is all about first be beholding that love, first being loved, but then being transformed by that love into love. And I'm going to use this heavenly hunk right here in the middle to, to give an illustration of that. So let's say my boy, Michael Sacco, let's say he's going on a date on a Friday night, right? So what does he do? He takes a shower, picks out a nice outfit, gives a quick shave, makes sure there's just a little bit of stubble left. Um, <laughs> he knows. And as you're on your way out the door, you stop at the door, you grab a couple mints, you pop two in your pocket and one in your mouth, just to make sure you're staying fresh, right? Well, the difference, the difference between having God's love and becoming or being God's love is the difference between grabbing a few on your way out versus having an endless supply in your pocket. Because what we have may run out. It may run out at some point, but who we are will be everlasting. So if you try to give out something that you have, that you've tried to pick up and receive and strive for, you're going to run out, no doubt. But if you give out who you are, if you share the truth of who you are and who Christ is in you, you'll never run dry. Um, so how do we become this love? And to do that, we're going to look at the second half of this story. Talking about the older son. So just bear with me. It's a little bit long. Um, just stay tuned. So starting at verse 25 in chapter 15. So it says, Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. 
When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours comes home who has squandered your property, uh, property with prostitutes, you kill the fattened calf for him. And the father says, My son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is now found. And growing up hearing this story, I used to think that the older son was this perfect kid, right? The mommy's boy. And the younger son was the sinner, right? He was the bad one of the family. But I think the more I learned from my own experiences as well, I learned that each son was lost in his own way because each son was outside or, or perceived themselves to be outside the love of a perfect father. They were outside because they, one, didn't see their worth, because two, they didn't see their father's worth. I mean, the older son that says that he never even got a young goat to party with his friends, right? Like, I've always wanted one of those, right? Like, how many of you guys have wanted a young goat? He wanted the little goat over there, but little did he know, he was missing out on the greatest goat, the greatest of all time, right? The G-O-A-T. He didn't realize that his inheritance was something that he already had, not something that he had to work for, but something that he could be freely given and freely receive. I think one way this applies to us, and I've been thinking a lot about this, is faith in God, right? A lot of us are Christians, hopefully a lot of us. We believe in Jesus, we believe in the Holy Spirit, yet sometimes we doubt ourselves, and why is that? And I want to ask you this question, do we really believe in God if we doubt ourselves? That's not to condemn, that's just to convict and to ask you this question. Because when we have faith in God, when we believe in God, do we not believe in what he believes in? Do we not believe in his purposes and his causes and believe in the fact that he believes in us as well? So let's truly choose, no matter what society says, to believe in who he says we are, to believe that we are worthy of his love and acceptance, to know that we are already seated at the table of the royal family. We always drink from the cup that overflows. So I'm so excited that my good friend and older brother David Hamilton could be here. I'm so blessed by this man. Um, and last year, it was my first year in Alive. I was a sophomore just getting started as a leader. And um, I was really inspired by so many amazing men who are evangelists like David, like Kundai, like Mark, like so many of you guys that have just blessed me so much. And um, my heart was so in it. My heart was so in going out on the quad and talking to people about Jesus, you know, and really growing in that aspect. And I remember David, such a trailblazer, such an initiator. He was initiating this amazing um, outreach ministry on campus called HOTS, Healing on the Street. And I was honored to receive the invitation from him to be one of the student leaders um, along with Abby Ann, who's in here as well. And like I said, my heart was so in it, so excited. But I told him, David, like, I'll be there with you. I'll be there, you know, rain or shine. But I got to say, I don't, I don't feel like I'm ready for this. I don't feel equipped. I don't feel like I have the ability to go out there and be the love of Jesus, you know? I don't feel like I'm good enough. 
And he said to me something that only an older brother would say. He said, Owen, that's absolute nonsense. You know, and I remember receiving that like, oh, it seems kind of harsh in the moment. But like, wow, he's loving me with truth and calling me higher. Because what David saw in me was something that I didn't see in myself. It's something that the Lord sees in us, even when we can't see in ourselves, because he believes in us. Even when I didn't think that I had the tools on my tool belt, David saw that I was an even bigger tool on the greatest craftsman's tool belt. So the point is that faith in, our, faith in him and doubt in ourselves cannot stand together. They just cannot. And it's the realization of the giver's worth, of the father's worth, that leads us to realize our own. And once we realize our own worth, we'll know that everything that he has, he has freely given to us. And it says in Romans that we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. That means God is our father and everything that Jesus has, we truly have as well. So just imagine Jesus sitting right in front of you and telling you, what's mine is yours. My heart is yours. My heaven, my abundance is yours. I gave myself over to death so that I could give my life to you, that we may abide in one another. And so the second point of the night is, we become that in which we abide. So how does clay become a pot? Is it by its own strength? No, but by its own surrender, right? So when we walk with him, when we abide with him, we learn to walk more like him as well. And something I ask God a lot when maybe I I go back into chair two, like Ryan said last year, when we kind of step out of line from what the Father has for us, I ask God, like, God, conform me to your character, because I know I made mistakes. I know I'm not perfect in this present in my eyes, but I know I am in yours. So conform me to your character. I want to inherit your heart, first for me and then for other people. And how do we do that? Well, it's by that supernatural transformation within us that creates a natural outpouring from us. Not by our own ability, as I learned, but by our own identity in Christ. So we not only carry the gospel, we not only pick up a few mints, but we actually become the gospel. We actually become the mint, right? (laughs) So will we choose to give not only what we have, may it be a little bit or a lot, not only what we have, but will we choose to give who we are in Christ, becoming the gospel in order for others to come alive in him as well? Yeah, guys, and sometimes that's the greatest part of the journey, this journey that we go into in declaring his love because we get to declare not only what we've become but also who we've beheld. And we get to declare to the world what we've become, what we've beheld, to show the love of God with our words and also with our actions. And I remember I used to really think about evangelism a lot and think about what's the best way to do that. You know, does that, you know, does that look like bringing your friend to church? Or sometimes I would think, well, maybe I should bring my Bible to school and, like, at the lunch table, open it up and, like, be that one dude who's like, hey, let's go through Galatians, you know? (laughs) Um, But I really believe that, especially chapter 16, Jesus tells his disciples about this awesome way of showing God's love, not just with your words, but with what you do and with what you have, being faithful in the little, 
So at the beginning of this parable, it's called the parable of the shrewd manager. And Jesus just wants to show his disciples how to live out this love. And I'm going to paraphrase it a little bit. Um, So Jesus turns to his disciples and he's like, hey guys, I have another story. So once upon a time, there was this really rich dude. And he was so rich that he had all this money that he hired this other guy to manage his money for him. Now, this manager was a fraud. He took his boss's money and he squandered it and used it for himself. And the boss found out. And the boss was like, dude, what the heck are you doing? Why are you trying to start beef with me, man? Like, I pay you. I, <laughs> I pay you to take care of my money for me. And the manager was like, crap, I don't have a job anymore. And the boss was like, yeah, heck you don't. Bring your stuff. <laughs> Bring your stuff tomorrow because you're fired. So now the, ma- now the manager was put in this tough situation. Like, man, now I can't pay for my rent. I'm homeless. Oh, wait, I have an idea. I'll go to the people that owed my boss money, and I'll go pretend to forgive their debt a little bit. And then that way, I can be their friend, and then when I'm homeless, I can go crash with them at their crib. So he, <laughs> so he goes off into this place. He finds the first guy, and he's like, hey, how much do you owe my boss? A hundred bucks. All right, just give me 50. And he goes to the, ne- the next guy. He's like, hey, how much do you owe my boss? Well, like 120. Uh, just give me 60. And he brings the money back to his boss. And the boss says, man, you sly son of a gun. <laughs> You're still fired. <laughs> Sorry, Ryan. Sorry, Ryan. <laughs> Sorry, Ryan. <laughs> oh, man. I have a spirit of sound mind and self-control. It's okay. <laughs> I felt the tension rise in the room. <laughs> um, but yeah, so he says, you're still fired, but man, that was smart. So this is kind of a weird parable. So what is Jesus trying to say? Well, he's trying to encourage his disciples, try your best to rob your boss's money. I'm just kidding. No, he's not. <laughs> Ryan tensed up there again. All right, no, so let's look at the Bible now. So in verse 8, it says, Jesus says, For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into their eternal dwellings. If you're faithful in a little, you will also be faithful in much. And if you're dishonest in little, you're also dishonest in much. So the first time I read this, I'm like, Jesus, that was kind of offensive. You just said the sons of darkness are smarter than I am? What? But Jesus is saying, he's not saying that. He's saying, you can learn from these people. Look how smart they are in getting things that, you know, that they want to get done. I want you to be like them, but do this for the kingdom and do this for the gospel. Be smart in how you show your love so that people will become your friends by the way you live your life. So, um, I was thinking about winter break a couple months ago, and I was catching up with some old friends from elementary school, um, and I, I'm still in contact with them. Um, and we were going to this restaurant bar, and I'm walking into the restaurant through the parking lot, 
and uh, Vitor pops into my head. I don't think he's here, but I'll just brag on him. So Vitor and I, we play soccer on Saturday nights at Cersei, and one thing I love about Vitor is the way he shows this gospel lifestyle. The way that when he's on the field, he's showing the love of God through the integrity and the way he plays the game. And I was thinking about this as I was going in, and I was like, man, God, I want to grow more in that. I want to be more like you in the, way that I, in the way that I show my love to people, not just through my words, but also in my, in my actions. So we were sitting at the table, and not even 10 minutes in, we started talking about Jesus. And I didn't start the conversation. And my friends know I'm Christian, but they just started asking me about Jesus and about my heart. And I was just sharing my heart, and... At the end of the night, I even pitched in a little bit for a couple of the rounds, and they were really blessed by it. And we were walking out, and my friend goes up to me, and he says, man, Eric, I love you, man. We got to catch up again sometime. And I wasn't trying to convert anybody, necessarily, but what Jesus wants us to do is not just be so focused on preaching the right things, but just living the love in whatever way that he empowers you to do. And it doesn't have to look a certain way, right? It doesn't have to be, you know, knocking on people's doors and saying, hey, can I tell you about my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? If you want to do that, that's awesome. But just be his love in your work, in your research lab, at your bank, at Starbucks, wherever you are, just show his love. Because declaring his love is a lifestyle with our words and our actions. There's this Catholic saint uh, by the name of Francis of Assisi. And he says, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. Guys, let's be a people that, that do this, that preach the gospel of truth and love, not only with our words, but also with our actions in truth and love with our words in our lives. Yeah, and I love that quote by Fran Fran, my boy Fran Fran. I'm sure you guys, a lot of you guys have heard that. I've heard it. Um, The question is, how do we do that? And I think the second teaching point that Jesus has in this story reveals the secret. So um, I'm just going to read just one verse, verse 13 of chapter 16. And it just says, no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. Because you can't serve both God and money. I think this is a universal message. You know, Jesus uses the analogy of money a lot, the metaphor of money, right? But that's just because money is something that the world desires, that influences people in the world. But there are so many influences around us. We look at people-pleasing. We look at fear. We look at anxiety in the classroom. We look at um, religion and, and chains from past religion that kept us in bondage. Maybe it was a lie someone spoke over you from a young age. Maybe it was something that someone did to you. All those things want to be our masters. And the first step in freedom is realizing that, that they are not your master. So I was in Mexico this past week, and um, we were um, going for one of the, one of a, we were going for a run um, up this mountain, and I wasn't able to run the whole thing. Um, I walked a couple times, but once we made it to the top, Um, I found myself on this muddy patch, this very dirty patch of of ground, yet I wasn't focused on the dirty patch. I was fixed on what was in front of me, what was before me, and it was this beautiful horizon, this beautiful sunrise, 
and I was beholding the beauty of what was before me. And in the sunrise, I saw something that the sun was rising up in me. And in that moment, I left fear and I brought faith and I walked away. And is that the first time that I ever said no to fear, that I made that declaration over my life? No, and it probably won't be the last time. But the thing is, it was a reminder of who he is within me, that I don't have to be a slave to fear because we are children of God. And I want you guys to hear this very clearly. Powerful people make powerful choices in alignment with their liberation. So like I said, that wasn't the last time I'll ever experience fear. Maybe tomorrow I'll experience fear. But the thing we need to remember is that we're no longer captives. We're no longer slaves to fear, right? And it takes a powerful person, a person filled with Holy Spirit, just like we are, to make the powerful choice to live in that liberation, to say no to fear, and to, to say yes to God. And there's another powerful quote that I love. It says, live a life that demands an explanation. That just by how you live, not even by your words, that people turn their heads and say, who is that person? So when you're working in your group and you have a, a huge project due tomorrow, or you're stressed out with your PhD exam problem that you have to take, or you're stressed out on the career search, yet you have so much peace, people look at you and they ask, why do they have so much peace? What's wrong with them? Or maybe you're going through a family struggle, yet people ask you, how can you have such a smile on your face? How can you have such joy in the process, in the trials? What do you say to them? It's so simple. It's Jesus, right? And what do they say to you? They say, oh, I'm not religious. I don't believe in, in that stuff. I'm not religious. You know, I grew up Catholic, but I, I don't follow that stuff anymore. And you say, don't worry, I'm not religious either. I just have a relationship with Jesus. He's my best friend. And I walk with him. I abide in him. And he abides in me. And you just watch people's heads turn. Like, what did they just say? Like, I've never even heard this before. Like, what is coming out of this person's mouth? And it just shows them. It's a living testimony to who God is within us. Not by our words, but by how we live our lives. How he is played out in a unique way through each and every one of us. So do we let our worship, not only in here but out there, be the true testament of who God is, who Jesus is, to others, for others to see? Because worship is standing up and standing out, knowing that he stands for you. And it's no coincidence that Psalm 1, verse 1, literally the first psalm ever written and recorded in the Bible, says, do not walk in step with the wicked and do not sit in the company of mockers because we were not meant to be conformed to the pattern of this world, but to be what? To be transformed by the renewing of our mind. So when people ask us, what's wrong with you? You're so different. All we want is to be a big arrow pointing to Jesus up in the sky, up in heaven, but most of all, up in here, in each and every one of us. So do we truly live this way, knowing that, like Eric said, he's the king of our hearts, 
knowing that he is enthroned upon our thoughts? Or are we enslaved by things like long lines at the grocery store, a delayed flight? Are we enslaved by things that people have told us? Are we enslaved by circumstances that aren't going our way? Or do we let the one who has poured so much into us be magnified in what we pour out? So who's our master? That's a question for you guys right now. Who's your master? Who's my master? Who's Eric's master? The third point of tonight is that we declare this love by walking in his freedom. We declare this love, no matter what anything else says, by walking in the freedom, listening to the voice of truth. And so if any of you guys know me, you know that I love County Market. Um, I absolutely adore County Market, actually. So... Not because it's a block and a half away from my house and because they have decent prices and stuff, but because there's always an opportunity for God to be on display there. There's always an opportunity for his love to shine. And I remember I was, I was picking up something one time. I was at the cashier, uh, the register, and, and, you know, making my way out, and I'm ordering or buying these couple of items. And I was that guy, right, who goes up to the counter, didn't realize there wasn't a price tag on one of the items, Right? We all hate that guy, right? That was me. And so my cashier, the, the wonderful woman, she runs all the way across the store, go finds the other person that I, I got the item from, takes five or six minutes, she's gone for a while. And I remember this woman, she was standing behind me with her rotisserie chicken in hand and her case of beer in the other. <laughs> and I don't know what she was getting ready to do, probably a party at Papa Diaz's house. <laughs> I wish I could have been there. But I saw after a minute or two, she was a little bit frustrated. She was getting a little bit upset, like a lot of us would, like I might, you know. And um, there I am, just standing there, trying not to be embarrassed. Sorry, everyone, you know. Um, I was just smiling, you know. Smiling's my favorite. I like smiling. That's an elf quote for you guys who didn't know. And I turned to the woman. I just do something so simple. Like, this is a very underwhelming story, guys. But I found the overwhelming truth after it happened. So I just turned to the woman. I say, hey, I'm sorry for the wait. Do you mind if I help you carry your stuff over to the next register that's now opened up? I didn't say another word. But I saw something change in her. Her countenance changed. She was no longer frustrated or upset. She simply said, why, yes, that would be wonderful. So not another word was exchanged for the next few moments. I just helped her carry her big chicken over. (laughs) I took pride in that. And she goes over. What's up, Brad? (laughs) And she goes over through the the register, and she um, she walks out of the aisle, and I expected her just to be gone. But she walks past me, and she stops for a minute. And she said something so sweet. She said, hey, God bless you. And she walked away. And so like I said, this story is underwhelming. I didn't see someone radically healed. I didn't see some crazy miracle going on. But the truth that we find from this is so profound. Because what, what the woman saw in me was something that I had found from the Lord. It, was, it happened because I had first beheld the love of God in my own life. I was on the journey, like I still am, to becoming the love of God, just like we all are. 
And I took just a simple few words to declare the love of God, not even mentioning the name of Jesus. And what that did, when we experience the love of God and live with heaven as our reality, it invites others to do the same. So my encounter created an encounter for her. She beheld the love of God in me. And as she walked away, as she walked through the checkout aisle, God was stirring something in her. She was being transformed. She was becoming the love of God. And as she came back around, what did she do with that love? She declared that love for all to hear. And like I said, a robot could have done what I did. But it's the love of God working in and through each of his sons and daughters to make his love complete, like he says in Hebrews. To make his love complete in who we are. And to do more than we can ever do on our own. But what what happens when adversity comes? Can anything stop us from beholding, becoming, and declaring the love of God? And the answer is a simple no. Because even if you try to rain on our parade, we'll parade all the way through the rain, all the way through the storm. Because there's a song of glory and celebration that can't be silenced. It's the love of God within us, breaking into us and breaking out from us, breaking through us for all to hear. It's the greatest love song ever written, and it's written by the lover himself. So this love, in closing, is not merely a gift of forgiveness or a gift of salvation. It's an invitation to a new life. It's not, excuse me, it is the solid foundation on which we stand, and it's also the source, the wellspring of all all of our life. His love is the lens through which we are seen by the Father and the lens through which we can see others. So I leave you recapping our three points from the night. Beholding, we are brought to life by beholding the love that first loved us. Becoming, we become that in which we abide. And declaring, we declare his love in a natural but supernatural way when we walk in his freedom. So will you pray with me to close this night and enter back into worship? Jesus, we just thank you for your great love that knows no bounds. That even when bad things come, like sickness, even when sickness or disease or regret or circumstances afflict us, they may come around us, they may try to get at us, we may experience pain from them, but we look at Psalm 3 and we believe and know that the Lord is a shield around us by his great love. That even when they come, we know and declare over ourselves that they can't change who we are. They can't change how we behave. So Father, wherever we are on our journey, let your love be alive in each and every one of us so that we can declare the truth of who you are for all to hear. Only by becoming the gospel ourselves. Only by being transformed into truth ourselves. And that only by beholding our first love.
Thank you, Jesus. Amen. guys that was awesome uh i think they both convinced me that they both need their separate and own message next year to preach so uh man stay tuned but man just thank you for blessing us you know guys uh this doesn't happen a lot at a live because even when i have other people preach i'm texting austin or sound guys or worrying working on different things but i was stirred tonight and i think we all have been challenged with the question What are we beholding? What are we becoming? And what are we declaring? Ask ask yourself that. Because I think wherever we're at on our journey, I think the Lord has something to speak to us through those questions. So through this song and the songs coming, we're going to have leaders on the side of the room we believe on one-on-one prayer. We believe in the power of prayer. And if you're sitting here and you just don't know what you're beholding, you don't feel like you're beholding anything, or you don't feel like you're becoming anything, or you don't feel like you're declaring anything, step out in faith, be vulnerable, and let someone pray with you, because you're not alone on this journey. Let's look to each other, but most of all, let's look to our Father.
One more time, God, I look to you. God, I look to you, and I won't be overwhelmed. Give me vision to see things like you do. God, I look to you, because you where my help comes from. Lord, give me wisdom. Just what to do.
Jesus, your love makes me brave. 
for this night, I really believe that the Lord was raising up a people who are called givers of life, who relentlessly give life to those around them, who are not limited by circumstances, but no matter what the situation says, just relentlessly hand out the love of the Father to those around you. That could be a smile, that could be a kind word, a word of encouragement, could be a miracle, a miraculous healing, but he's raising up a people who give life no matter what the world says. There is no way that his sons and daughters can be lost in this world. We can only be lost in his love. And when we realize that, we are truly unshakable, just like Paul was singing out. So will we be the ones, not only to go across the world, to preach the gospel in all nations, but will we be the ones to go across the street and go bless that mailman. Or go bless that person who's hurting. Or go to the other register. Literally get out of line and go to the other register to meet with that woman who has a sad face. So you don't have to raise your hand. Just close your eyes and receive if this is you. And I'll just pray real quick. 
So Father, I just thank you for what you're doing in the lives of, of, of so many of us, God. I just thank you that our cup overflows when we know who we are. When we know your worth, Father, we see ours. I just pray for a, flat, a fresh infilling, that your love would fall afresh tonight and change us and transform us into becoming your gospel like never before, where we don't have to strive or perform in order to give your love away. We simply need to walk in our identity as Christ, as sons and daughters, sons and daughters of the living God. So Father, we rise up, we rise up as givers of life, being relentless to give your love to those around us.
thank you, Father. Thank you that you are good. And God, I just thank you for the word that you deposited in us through Eric and Owen, God. I thank you, Father, that we are beholding you. And because we are beholding you, we are becoming you. We are becoming like you, the way we talk, the way we walk, the way we look, the way we sound. And God, I thank you that that doesn't happen just in the public, but that happens at home, plugging ourselves into you, listening to you, asking you what we're beholding and what we're becoming. Because what we're beholding and what we are becoming is what we are declaring with our words, but most of all, with our lives. So God, I pray that you keep making us. Break the things that are not of you and make the things that are of you. And I thank you that we're beautifully and wonderfully in process. That you are good and that you are faithful to complete the work that you have started. So use us this week, God. Use us as loose change in your pockets to be used in grocery stores, in Walmarts, in our study hall, in our classes, in our friend groups, in our fraternity and sororities. Use us, God, to be a vessel of change, to be your hands and your feet and your heart in a way that only you can. We love you, God. We thank, say thanks for most loving us. We bless you. And in this week, more than any other week, let us be reminded this Friday what you've done for us. And let us celebrate this Sunday what you rose for us. That because of you, that because you rose, we also rise with you. And let us celebrate not about bunnies or eggs or chocolate, even though that's all good. But let us celebrate. It's not Easter. It's Resurrection Sunday. And that you resurrected in and through our lives. We love you, Jesus. Have your way with us. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you guys so much for coming out. Let's give it up for Eric and Owen one more time, wherever they are. Man, mighty men of God. <laughs> and there's that weird scream again. Someone pray for him. <laughs> well, we thank you so much for being a part of this family. Uh, have an amazing Good Friday and Resurrection, Resurrection Sunday. We hope you come out and celebrate with us. Uh, Deeper still will be going on Friday. So if you want to get some worship and praying, uh, check that out. And also, next Wednesday, we're at our church for Encounter Night, the last one of the year. And uh, so we hope you check us out. Be blessed, everyone. God loves you and believes in you. Taste and see.